Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for part two of Before and After. Amen. Well, last week as we kicked off this series, we talked about how this year in America, 2.1 million couples will stand before God and gather witnesses and they will take vows to love and cherish one another for the rest of their lives. 2.1 million marriages will begin so beautifully, but here's the sad news, before it's all said and done, about half of those marriages will end so tragically. What does that translate into? That translates into one million shattered dreams. And so, about 50% of all the couples, as we said last week, who say I do, will one day say, I don't anymore. Okay, so that's the bad news. How many of you guys are ready for some good news this morning, right? Okay, so here's the good news. Check this out. Uh, a study was done at Harvard. We'll put that up on the screen for you guys. And it's an, a very uh, interesting study, and this is the results. Couples that regularly read the Bible together and pray together and attend church together have a divorce rate of one in every 1,287 marriages. That's less than one-tenth of one percent. Isn't that awesome, right? That's a cool thing. And so here's my question for you. Do you want to increase the odds that you're going to stay together with your spouse for life? Do you want to increase those odds dramatically? Do you want to increase those odds from a 50% success rate all the way to an over 99% success rate. If so, then here's what you got to do. You got to become an active follower of Jesus Christ with your spouse. Regularly read the Bible together. Regularly pray together. Regularly attend church together. Now, guys, you got to take the lead on this. Wow, no one said amen to that. Guys, you got to take the lead on this. Yes. Why? Because God made you the leader, whether you like it or not. And so, maybe it's at the breakfast table. Maybe it's at, after dinner. Maybe it's before you go to bed at night. But guys, take the lead. Get together with your wife. Open up the Word of God. Go through a passage. It doesn't have to be, you know, five chapters. It can just be a paragraph. But go through part of the Word of God. Pray together. Man, that'll do so much for your marriage. And then on Sunday, guys, take the lead. Get up and lead your family to church. Don't be the, the husband, the deadbeat husband, who the wife's got to wake up and say, Honey, are we going to go to church today? I don't know. I'm tired. What is that? What if Jesus was too tired to go to the cross? What if Jesus didn't feel like dying on the cross? Guys, step up and lead your families. Step up and lead your wives. If you will honor God, he will honor you. And he'll honor your marriage. And he'll help you have a strong marriage because research doesn't lie. Now last week, we covered verses 22 through 24. Today we're gonna pick it up in verse 25. So we're making our way verse by verse through Ephesians chapter five. Today we pick it up in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and what did he do? Gave himself for her. He selflessly did what he didn't feel like doing. He went to a cross, died for us. He gave himself for us. Why? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You see that sanctification? See that cleansing? You see how it comes at the end of verse 26? It's by the Word of God, the book that's opened up in your lap right now. Stay in the Word, and you'll continue to be sanctified. You'll continue to be cleansed. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Last week, we had some before principles and some after principles. Today, we're going to have before and after principles. And so this is just a general principle from God's Word, whether you're looking forward to marriage or whether you're married already. The relationship between a husband and wife should reflect the relationship 
between Christ and his church. Now, Christ's love for the church can be seen in the past and in the present and in the future. In the past, what did he do? As I said earlier, he selflessly went to a cross and he gave himself for his bride, the church. And, that, and you see that at the end of verse 25. In the present, his love can be seen. How? In that right now, um, he is sanctifying us and he's cleansing us by the word of God. That can be seen in verse 26. He loved us in the past, he gave himself for us. He loves us in the present, he's sanctifying. That means set apart. That means to be made holy. That means to be made conformed to his image, right? He's doing that primarily through the word of God. That's the present. But his love can also be seen in the future. When Jesus will present us to himself and to his Father as a glorious church one day, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but rather holy and without blemish, and that's in verse 27. I'm just wondering, how many of you guys are looking forward to the day when we're up in heaven and Jesus presents us to his heavenly Father, right? That's going to be a glorious day. Can you picture all of us together with the saints of all times, standing there in the new Jerusalem in our glorified bodies, standing before the throne of God? And by the way, if you're not cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and wrapped in his righteousness, God will consume you. <laughs> Absolutely. Our only hope of standing there one day at his throne, at his, as his church, is because of the fact that his blood has cleansed us from all of our sin, past, present, and future. And Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness has wrapped us up and has made us to be able to call a holy God our Abba Father. That's the gospel. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. Can you picture us standing there without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but rather holy and without blemish? Can you picture us standing there rejoicing with all the saints of all time, saying blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever? Revelation 5.13. You say, who, me? I say, yes, you. Because if you have sincerely humbled your heart and received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then the Bible promises that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And you'll be there. You will be there. And, it, you know, the worship services here are dynamite. They're awesome. Right? But it's nothing compared to when we stand in the New Jerusalem one day before our Heavenly Father as the bride of Jesus Christ. And so, man, Christ has justified us in the past, verse 25. He is sanctifying us in the present, verse 26. He will glorify us in the future, verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 27. Now, why is that? Why has he done all that for us? Because we're his bride. And he loves us. Whenever that was that you humbled your heart and received Christ, you became one with Jesus. You're his bride. Just like husbands, when you said, I do, and wives, when you said, I do, what happened? Husband, wife, you guys became one together. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You've loved her in the past. Now love her actively in the present and love her in the future. Love her, serve her, cherish her as Christ loves and serves and cherishes the church. And if you'll do that, man, your relationship will mirror Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. Look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, nor, I'm sorry, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we, the church, the bride of Christ, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And so once again, you see that Christ and his bride, the church, when we uh, come to him in faith, he, he, he makes us one with him. We're his body. 
And just the same way, when a husband and wife join with one another in holy matrimony, they become one, one in body, soul, and one also in, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, etc., etc. And so here's your next before and after principle. So guys, this is for those of you guys who are single and look forward to getting married one day, or guys, if you're already married, if you will care for your wife as much as you care for yourself, she will be one happy woman. Now the reason I say that, guys, is because we care for ourselves all day long. Look at verse 29 again. He says, <laughs> I just heard a wife say, amen. He cares for himself all day long. All right, look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Right, guys? That's what we do. We nourish ourselves. We cherish ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. This is healthy self-love. There's a bad self-love. I'm not going to get into that. But there's a healthy self-love. And so, guys, that's what we do. That's what God says we do in verse 29. We nourish ourselves, we cherish ourselves, just as the Lord does the church. All day long, guys, we listen to the signals of our body. And all day long, we take care of ourselves, right? If our body says, I'm hungry, what do we do? We eat. If our body says, I'm thirsty, we, we drink. If our body says, I'm tired, guys, what do you do? You go to sleep. If your body's sick, what do you do? You go see a doctor, you take some medicine. If, if it's cold outside, if your body says, I'm cold, you put on a coat. If your tooth says, hey, I've been hurting for three or four days, right? You listen to the signal of your body, and what do you do? You go see a dentist. Guys, listen, all day long, we're tuned into our bodies, and we nourish and cherish our bodies. Now look again at verse 28. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Please, no one answer out loud. But husbands, are you tuned into your wife as much as you're tuned into yourself? Are you listening for her signals? Are you responding to her needs? This is what Christ does for his bride, the church, right? So that's what we're supposed to do for our brides. And so when you come home from work, okay, yes, last Sunday we talked about the wives, so guys, it's your turn, right? So husbands, when you come home from work, do you just plop down in front of the TV or do you ask your wife, how can I help you? And then do you actually help her, right? Do you help her with dinner? Or maybe do you take the kids outside in the backyard while she gets dinner ready? Or do you set the table? Or do you clean out the dishwasher? Or maybe later on in the evening, guys, do you do a couple loads of laundry? Ladies, can I get an amen here? Yeah. Right? Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> maybe, guys, give her some alone time. Now listen, it took me a long time to figure this out in my marriage. I wasn't really tuned in well enough to my wife and her signals to figure this one out. It took me over 20 years to figure this one out. But early in our marriage, I guess I always assumed that my wife always wanted me around. Turns out she doesn't. Okay, and so finally one day she told me, Mike, I need some me time. Oh, so you don't want me around? You want me to leave? She didn't tell me to leave, but she told me I need some me time. And so I got a road, a used road bike. So what I do is I go off alone for a few hours on my used road bike, and I have my me time, and she has her me time. And, and I know somebody right now is thinking, well, that doesn't sound healthy. It's very healthy. And here's why. Because when she's alone, getting her alone time, maybe going out to lunch with a girlfriend, maybe reading a good book, maybe taking a hot bubble bath, maybe um, playing on her uh, games on her tablet, whatever she's doing, what is she doing? She's emotionally refilling. And when she's emotionally filled and refreshed, she has more to give to the family. 
It's a healthy thing. And so guys, be tuned into your wives like you're tuned into yourself. Be tuned into her needs and help her out. Guys, if you really want to make your wife happy, go home and say this. Don't do it today because she's going to think, well, Pastor Mike told you to do that. So (laughs) wait a little while. But say something like this. Honey, would you like to go out with your girlfriends? Pick a night. I'll stay home. I got the kids. Go have fun. That's what it means to be tuned in to your wife and her needs. And so after she picks herself up on the floor, she's going to be so encouraged. And, and, and here, here again, you know, whatever happens in marriages, you know, people get upset and they get attitudes. And so some guy is saying, well, why, why should I do that? I've been working all day. Well, what do you think she's been doing? Eating Twinkies and watching Days of Our Lives all day? (laughs) Guys, if there's little kids at home, she's been more busy than you have been. Now, I don't want this to become a competition, right? It's okay to clap every once in a while, yeah? But I don't want this to be a competition. I don't want this to be me against her. But the fact of the matter is, if you have little kids in your home, your wife is drained whether you worked eight, nine, 10 hours or not, she needs your help. It's a partnership. And so tune in to the wife, to the, to the to needs of your wife. Look, look at verse 28 again. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So what do you gotta do? You gotta serve your wife just as Christ serves the church, right? Jesus and you, when you said yes to Jesus, You became one. You're part of him now. You're his bride. He's the husband. He serves. How many of you guys know that Jesus serves us? He loves us. He cherishes us, right? And we have no problem because of who Jesus is being subject to his authority in our lives. And so it's the same way husbands love her, cherish her, be tuned in to her needs. Love her like Jesus. Now, at this time, we're going to be done with Ephesians 5. Next Sunday, we're going to continue to go through this passage. We'll pick it up in um, verse 31 next week. But for the rest of our time together, I want everybody to take a left in your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What we're doing now is we're going to one of those classic passages in the Bible that talks about how love is not primarily a noun. Love is primarily a verb. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. This is Paul again writing to the church, not at Ephesus, but at Corinth. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, It profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love, verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love, verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love, verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And everybody, on the count of three, I just want want you to say the next three words in verse 8. Ready? One, two, three. Never fails. Now, we just learned a little while ago that if husbands will lead our wives and read the Bible together regularly and pray together regularly and go to church together regularly, the chance that we're going to someday divorce our wives or they're going to divorce us 
is less than one-tenth of one percent. But here, God's word says, I have something more foolproof than that. If you want a 100% success rate that your marriage will last for a lifetime, just do what the Apostle Paul says in verses four through eight. Why? Because love never fails. What kind of love? Well, that word love there is agape, uh, usually pronounced agape. And it's the same word found in John 3, 16, right? For God so what? Love, that's agape. Okay, so, so, so God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so true love, what does it do? True love gives. There's two types of people in the world. There's givers and takers. Now, this will really help your marriage if you get a hold of this. Because this is like the root of all the problems in marriage. There's two types of people in the world. There's givers and there's takers. Okay, so marriages that are make up, made up of two uh, selfish, self-centered takers will absolutely fail. But a marriage that's made up of one selfish, self-centered taker, but one selfless giver, that marriage has a chance. It's going to walk with a limp, but that marriage has a chance. But, listen to this, if a marriage is made up of two selfless givers, always falling over themselves to serve the other person, always putting the other person's needs ahead of their own, always tuned in to the needs of each other, loving each other not as a noun, but as a verb, then that kind of marriage will absolutely have a 100% success rate. Why? Because love in action never fails. So here's your next point. If you're taking notes, your next before and after point. If you will love one another the way Paul described in verses four through eight, your marriage will never fail. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the divorce rate, again, 50%, that's in the world. Everybody look at me for just a second. And in the church, okay? I say the church because how many of you guys understand And Not everybody that goes to church is an active follower of Jesus. That's why the divorce rate is 50% in the church. But here, God is saying, no, 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 no. In my, in my word, I'm giving you a foolproof way to stay together with that person for life. And it's, if you transform the word love from a noun into a verb and you begin to put feet to your faith. While in counseling, a wife in tears points at her husband and says, he never tells me I love you anymore. And the counselor looks at the husband and says, what's the deal, why not? And you, you've heard this before, right? He looks at her, her and the counselor and says, I told her I loved her when we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let her know, <laughs> right? Okay, that's not the love that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Far from it. That's not the kind of love Jesus has for us. Can you imagine if Jesus would have said something like that? I told you I loved you when I saved you, but now you're on your own, right? That's what the deists believe. God created us and he's off on his own. We're, we're, it's all about us right now. No, our God's a personal God. Our God loves us and serves us and cherishes us. He loves us in an active way. And so what we're gonna do for the remainder of this message and the beginning of the next message, because I don't have time to go through the whole list. There's 10 um, ways to define love here. So we're gonna finish up the message today. We're gonna go through this list. We're gonna get through about half of it, and we're gonna define this question. We're gonna define the question, what is true love? Okay, so everybody with me so far? Look at verse four. Love suffers long. Okay, stop right there. What does that mean? That means that love is patient. Love is patient. Now, I think it's James that talks about how the word of God is like a mirror, right? So right now, it's like I'm holding up a mirror. And by the way, I hold it up to myself during the week, okay? So I don't want you guys to ever think that none of this applies to me. It absolutely applies to me. But right now, it's kind of like I'm holding up a mirror and you guys can look into the mirror 
and you can see how you're doing. Now, now here's the thing. Most people don't want to look in the mirror because we're fallen creatures and a lot of us aren't doing so well. But let me just encourage you not to look away, not to justify yourself, not to make excuses, but look full on in the mirror. Here's why you can look full on in the mirror with confidence, because you have a father who's a forgiving God who loves you and accepts you whether you're a sinner or a saint. Okay, so look full on in the mirror, humble your heart, and just see how you're doing, husbands and wives now, okay? So love is patient. When your spouse annoys you, notice I said when, not if. (laughs) When your spouse frustrates you, right then, you have a choice. Wives, you have a choice right then. Husbands, you got a choice right then. You have a choice to either react or respond. You have a choice of either reacting in the flesh or responding in the Holy Spirit. And the reason I emphasize responding in the Holy Spirit is because we have to remind ourselves that patience is not just a virtue. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. You remember this? Love, joy, peace, what? Patience. And so when you're in the morning or whenever you do it, right? When you're um, uh, pouring out your heart in prayer to God, when you're immersed inside of his word, when you're asking him to fill you with his Holy Spirit, when you're hanging out with the Lord, just like a branch hangs out with a tree trunk, what begins to pop out of you as the weeks, months, years, decades go by is the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits is patience. And so as you hang out with the Lord on a regular basis, and this point right here will save Millions of marriages, if people would just listen to this, you got to hang out with the Lord every day. You can't do this life on your own. And as you're hanging out with the Lord, what does he do? He provides, because he's the vine, right? We're the branches. He provides a supernatural power to be patient. What does that mean? That means that later on in the day, now this, the prerequisite is you're hanging out with the Lord in the morning. Okay, you're filled with the Spirit. And then later on in the, during the day, when, not if, your wife frustrates you or annoys you, right then you find that you have a supernatural power to be patient. Now, if you haven't been hanging out with the Lord, you're going to react in the flesh. What are you going to do? You're going to lash out at him or her. You're going to yell at him or her. You're going to demean him or her. You're going to say, you stupid idiot, how many times do I have to tell you this? And it's going to escalate from there. And of course, that escalation brings division. And of course, because most of us are prideful people, we don't deal with it. We don't uh, say we're sorry. We don't ask for forgiveness. And so what happens is we sweep that offense under the carpet. And the carpet gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, in our once happy marriage, we're tripping all over the offenses that have never been forgiven because we were too proud to deal with them. We wouldn't die to ourselves to deal with them. And our marriage fails. There's a better way. It's called patience. And so when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. You have a supernatural power. Do you understand how all the glory goes to God for this? Because it's not our supernatural power, right? I mean, that's why we're here, right? The number one reason we're here is to exalt Christ. Not to learn some principles on how to be be better with our felt needs or whatever. No, we're here to give glory and honor to Jesus Christ and to listen to his word. And here's what his word says. His word says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And as he's conforming you into his image, you're becoming less selfish and more selfless, and you have this patience to take a deep breath. When your spouse annoys you and frustrates you, you can take a deep breath. You may even smile. And you can walk calmly away. And then you can come back later and deal with that thing once your anger has subsided. Now, if you're single, you are in a beautiful position because you have not yet said, I do. So if you're single or if you're engaged, you have the opportunity to observe that special someone in your life. 
Love is what? Patient. Is he patient? Is she patient? Observe them. You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to stay or go. You haven't said I do. You're not in covenant with this person. Well, I have a ring on my finger. You're not in covenant with that person. You can give the ring back. I'd rather you give your ring back to a jerk than marry a jerk and be stuck with a jerk for the rest of your life. Right? And so you have an opportunity to observe that person and ask yourself, is he or she really patient? Now, the way you find out is see how he or she responds when someone frustrates them or annoys them. And if someone is frustrating them and annoy, annoying them, then just kind of sit back and watch how does he or she deal with that? Do they respond in the spirit or are they reacting in the flesh? Are they lashing out? Are they being rude at other people? When those people annoy them, when those people hurt them? And you might say this, okay, because right? love is blind. So I, I like to poke holes in a people's blind love, right? So, so you may say this, well, he's never lashed out at me. He will. If he's lashing out at others, it's just a matter of time before he lashes out at you. And so you have an opportunity to make sure that you're only dating somebody who is growing. None of us are perfect. None of us have reached perfection. But it's got to be someone who's at least growing in patience. What is true love? True love is patience. But what else is it? Look at verse 4. Love suffers long. Okay, love is patient. And is what? Kind. Okay, so that's your next point. Love is kind. Not a noun. It's a verb. We're talking about tangible words and acts of kindness here. Because love is something that continues to give, 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 right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Encourage one another. I just want you to think about, I'm really not trying to cause anybody any pain, but just think about the last month in your marriage, okay? What has been the atmosphere in your home? Is it 1 Thessalonians 5.11? Encourage one another, build each other up. Or is it fights and feuds and demeaning and anger and cursing and all the rest? Don't walk away from the mirror. Keep looking into the mirror. You have a God who loves you and will forgive you. Just keep looking here. Encourage one another. Build each other up. So husbands, encourage your wives. Build them up, whether you feel like it or not. Wives, encourage your husbands and build them up. How do you do that? Through words and acts of kindness. Okay, so husbands, what does that mean? It could mean a thousand different things. It could mean that you bring your wife home flowers every once in a while. That's an act of kindness. Um, maybe it means send her a text during the day. Just let her know you love her. Or if you blew it, you're sorry. When you come home from work and you open the door, right, and your wife says, oh, honey, can you go um, back out and get some milk? Instead of saying, why didn't you call me? I could have got it on the way home. Now I got to go back out there. Listen, it's not your job to scold her. It's your job to serve her. So you take a deep breath, smile, get in the car, go get the milk. It's an act of kindness. It's not about you. It's about her. And wives, it's not about you. It's about him. That's how we got to think. We got to reprogram our minds. It's, it's acts of kindness. Put gas in her car. Help around the house. Make her coffee in the morning and bring it to her. Tell her how beautiful she is. Right? We can go on and on and on about how practical the Word of God is, but if you'll begin to speak words of kindness and begin to act in ways of kindness, then what's going to happen, no matter how much you blew it in the past, the Lord's beginning to work on her heart and melt her heart and is going to restore that marriage. But you got to do this whether you feel like it or not. And let me tell you something. Eight times out of ten, your flesh is not going to want to do this. You're going to want to blame her for all the things that she's done wrong in your eyes. It's not about 
what she's done to you. It's about how you can encourage her and bless her and help her. And by the way, guys, don't do it because of what you want at the end of the day. Your wife will see right through that. Especially, and by the way, we have, a, we have a children's ministry here. We would love for you to send your kids to children's ministry so we can talk in our adult services, right? And they can be taught Jesus on their level and the word of God on their level instead of being bored to tears listening to me, right? Take them to shine. It's, a, it's an awesome ministry. And so, guys, your wife's gonna see right through that if whatever, you know, you and your husband have set up in your marriage, right, if on that day, you're falling all over yourself to speak in words of kindness and act in kind ways, what does that say to her? Well, he's just doing this because what's gonna happen later? How often are you tuned into your needs of your body, guys? Every day, all day long. And so when you said, I do, at the altar, right then, you made a commitment before God, I'm going to be tuned into her every day, all day long, whether it's that special day or not. Wives, when he comes home, give him a big kiss. Not like you kiss your grandfather. <laughs> He's your husband. Lay one on him. I don't feel like it. It's not about what we feel like. Later on during the day, tell them every once in a while, thank you for working so hard for our family. Wives, tell them how proud you are. Honey, I'm so proud of you. Now, if the first time you do that, he reaches over and feels your forehead, don't be offended, <laughs> right? Because it's been so long since he's heard those words. But he needs to hear those words. He needs to hear you say thank you we're working 45, 50, 55 hours a week for our family. He needs to hear how proud of you, of, of him that you are. Make his favorite meal. Sometimes do what he likes to do, ladies. Maybe go to the gun range. Maybe go to the ball game. Maybe go to the driving range. Do stuff that he likes to do every once in a while. Join him in that. On date night, when the door is locked and the lights go down, blow his mind with how passionate you are for him. Right? Yes, I said that at church. Now, right now, some of the guys, they don't want to say amen out loud, right? Because the wife is sitting. So, but I, I, I can hear it. It's like in their mouth. Amen, amen. I love that guy. do that. I don't really feel like it. He didn't, it's not about you. It's about him. And guys, I got to say it, right? Because I'll get letters. It's not about you guys. It's about her. Fall over yourself to serve each other. You know, if you're single, don't blow his mind on date night. Wait for the wedding night. We're not going to become the church of Laodicea. I don't care. Listen, I don't care if we grow or not. Growing is not in my, um, it's not my, it's not my heart to have a mega church, okay? I would love to reach as many people as we can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, but numbers mean, don't mean anything. We, are, we will not become the church of Laodicea. What's the church of Laodicea? It's the worldly church. It's the church that looks just like the culture. We're not going to do that. Save sex for marriage. Save sex for marriage. Save sex for marriage. I know the hormones are going nutso. When you kiss her, if you choose to kiss her or she kisses you, always remain standing as you're kissing. Don't ever, ever, ever lay down and kiss. Because you will not be able to hold back the power of your hormones. Save sex for marriage. Honor the Lord and he will honor you. Listen, the decisions that you make now while you're dating have ramifications for the next 50, 60, 70 years. Do you want God's blessing on your marriage? Honor him now. You say, I already blew it. Today's a new day. Ask for forgiveness and stay pure till your wedding night. But make sure if you're single, only date someone who's growing in kindness 
And by the way, single people, right, right now, if her or if, 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 she, if, if he or she is not showing their affection for you through tangible um, um, acts and words of kindness while you're dating, they sure ain't gonna do it after you're married, pardon the bad English. They need to be doing it especially right now. What is true love? Love is patient. Love is kind, but not only that, look at verse four again. Love does not envy. Okay, so here's your next point. Love is not envious. Love is not envious. What is envy? Webster's defines it as, quote, a feeling of resentment aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities. Okay, so it's a feeling inside. It's definitely your old nature, my, my old nature. But when, when, that, when feelings of resentment come up, it's feelings inside that resent someone else's qualities or their possessions. That's what envy is. Okay, keep looking in the mirror, all right? Because if I were to ask right now, how many of you guys are envious? I would suspect that maybe three honest people would raise their hands. Why? Because we don't see this in ourselves. We, we, we normally don't see pride in ourselves. We don't see envy in ourselves. It takes a trusted relationship where you trust someone who's gonna point out those things. And, and because what happens, by the way, if someone who you, who you don't trust points out you're prideful or you're envious, then of course it escalates from there and it's not gonna, it's not gonna be a good thing. But keep looking in the mirror here. Envy. If you always have to one-up your spouse, you probably have a problem with envy. What do you mean? I mean this. If, if your spouse is sharing about something um, that they accomplished or something that they achieved, and you feel at that time while they're sharing that instead of praising them, you have to talk about what you have accomplished or what you have achieved, then you probably have a problem with envy. And so wives, if, if your husband comes home and says, man, honey, I was a machine today at work. I got so much done. And you have to say, well, you know what I did? I cleaned the house. I paid the bills. I went to the grocery store. Well, wait a minute. Time out, ladies. Why can't you just praise your husband for what he did without talking about what you did? It's called envy. Husbands, if your wife beats you in bowling... If she breaks 200 and you have never broken 100 in your life, <laughs> then, then, then why when the friends are around, they hear about how she slaughtered you, why do you have to say, well, yeah, in bowling, but in dominoes, man, I, I kick her butt every time. <laughs> well, wait a minute, time out. Why can't you just praise your wife without talking about what you have done? Why do you always have to turn the spotlight on you? Why do you always have to turn the conversation to you? It's because of envy. And by the way, you know where envy comes from? Insecurity. When someone's insecure, they always turn the conversation back to themselves. Why is that? Here's why. It's because they so desire love. They so desire acceptance. They so desire approval. Right? That's why they keep turning the conversation back to themselves. That's why they keep shining the spotlight on themselves. Do you know who has the most fulfilled marriages? It's husbands and wives who get their deepest needs met, not by each other, but by the Lord. Right? And so, once again, in the morning, when they're pouring out their heart in prayer to God, they're pouring over his word. They're getting up a little early to make time to honor the Lord in that day. What's happening? What's happening is that through that, um, their, their personal devotions, what's happening is that they're receiving love and they're receiving acceptance and they're receiving approval from the Lord. And the Lord is filling up their emotional love tank, so to speak. And now they're so filled with God's love and God's acceptance and God's approval that now they're able to serve their spouse out of the overflow of what God did in their quiet time. Instead of going into the relationship, whether it's a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, wanting to take rather than wanting 
to give. So spouses who don't have this kind of close relationship are needy. They come to the marriage with an attitude, I need, I need, give me, give me, because they're so empty. Here's the truth. Your spouse only has so much to give, but the love and acceptance and approval that comes from the Lord is a well that never runs dry. Receive those deepest needs from the Lord if you want to have a successful marriage. And then minister to your wife. Minister to your husband out of the overflow because what, what God does when we're actively following him is he makes us secure people. Not perfect people, but we're secure. And then we're givers and we're not takers. Does that make any sense to anybody? Okay? So, so, so make that happen in your marriage. If you're single... Only date someone who's growing in their relationship with the Lord. Why? Because that's making them secure and confident, right? But if, if you're dating someone and they're always turning the spotlight on themselves, they're always turning the conversation back to themselves, then I would encourage you, maybe look around. Date somebody else. What is true love? We're going to take one more, and then we'll finish up the list in the beginning of the message next week, and then we'll probably get in uh, Lord willing, into um, sex and romance also next week. I imagine the house will be packed next week. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. And love, end of verse 4, does not parade itself and it is not puffed up. So what does that mean? That means that love is humble. Love is humble. So how do you know if somebody's truly humble? Is it because they kind of walk around with their head down? No, that's false humility. It has nothing to do with what, the, what God's saying. The way you know if somebody's humble is how they react in an argument. That's how you really know. Let me say that again. The way you know if someone's truly humble or not is not because they have their head down or they're quiet or shy. It's, it's how do they um, react or respond in an argument. That's how you know. And so, when you think about it that way, when you and your spouse disagree about something, here's what happens. What, what's really on the inside comes out. Just like when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what's really on the inside comes out. So when you're in an argument with your spouse or the person you're dating, what's really on the inside is gonna come out. And it's usually one of two things. It's either pride or it's humility. And so here's a humility test. After you have offended your spouse, can you say the words, I was wrong? Now, some of you are thinking right now, well, if I ever was wrong, I would admit I'm wrong, <laughs> but I never am wrong. That's why I never say it. I bet you're wrong more than you think. So the next time you offend your spouse, say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Can we practice that? Okay, so here, here's what you say, not right now. What you're gonna say is, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Okay, on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. That's a beautiful sound, isn't it? That's the sound of humility. Would to God that same sound came out of your mouth Tuesday night when you're having a fight with your spouse. Because here's the thing, it'll be some of the hardest words you'll ever say. In fact, you may find yourself unable to say those words. For those of you who are about my age, do you guys remember growing up Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, watching Happy Days? Remember that? Everybody who's in their 20s saying, What? You guys remember the Fonz? Remember how you had a hard time saying I was wrong? Check, check this out. Ralph, I was... <laughs> I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Ralph. I was what you just said I was just... Why is this so hard? I can relate to that. 
I don't actually try to say it, but I feel it in my heart. I got to say wrong to, uh, that I was wrong to Stacy, and I just can't get it out. Why is that? Why is that true in your life? Here's why. Because we're all born with a sin nature that is inherently prideful. So what's the remedy? We got to die to ourselves every single day. Paul said, I die daily. You want to have a successful marriage? You got to die daily. You got to die to your pride every single day. You got to get on your knees every single morning in a, in a state of humility before your creator. And in Jesus' name, you got to say something like this. Lord, today, help me die to myself. Help me today to be a servant and a blessing to other people. Help me today when I mess up to say I was wrong, will you forgive me? Help me to walk in the spirit because when I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're single, make sure that you're only dating people who are growing in humility. Not somebody who has to win every argument. Definitely not someone who refuses to admit when they're wrong. Make sure you're dating that guy, that girl who's growing, not perfect, but who's growing in humility. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.